here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this October the 3rd, and we're going to be taking a look at the hymn, O Love, How Deep, How Broad, How High. So let's go ahead and listen to it as I, Tom Baker, and Mark Smith will be talking about it. took place during the modern devotion movement in the 15th century. One of the movement's leaders was the author Thomas A. Kempis. He died in 1474. In fact, he has a book called The Imitation of Christ, which is one of the most enduring devotional books ever written. It is a wonderful hymn. It actually had 23 stanzas at one time with a specific focus on the events associated with Christmas. In fact, the work was originally designated as a nativity hymn based on Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. Many medieval writers were rediscovered through the 19th century, Oxford movement in the Church of England, and one result was a translation of this magnificent hymn by Benjamin Webb, died in 1885, prepared for the second part of John Mason Neal's Hymnal Notes, 1855. So, the essential elements of Christ's life are presented objectively. And there is a reputation, repetition of this, <coughs> excuse me, for us is heard again and again. One of your favorite hymns, Pastor Mark Smith? Oh, it's a great hymn. I love it. Uh, I just love it. It's, uh, you know what I like about it? It's got for us in there 13 times yes. Christ did everything for us yes and we're going to be taking a look at each of those they don't begin until the third verse 
but the first two verses give the foundation. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and you just heard Pastor Mark Smith, and he's going to be reciting the first stanza. Oh, love, how deep, how broad, how high, beyond all thought and fantasy, that God, the Son of God, should take our mortal, for, our mortal form for mortal's sake. So where does this language come from? How deep, how broad, how high? Let's see. It's one of the, uh, it's one of the epistles. I think... Uh, uh, yes, I'm. I'm not sure just which one, but I, I. I know it's. It's from one of the epistles. That's right. That God Himself is talking about His knowledge is so different than ours. It's deeper. It's broader. It's higher. And in fact, His thoughts are not like our thoughts. And right. So having a hymn like this is really great. And it says, beyond all thought and fantasy, which means the fantasy of human beings. Right. Nobody has invented a religion that even comes close to the Christian truths as found in Holy Scripture. Because Christianity is a religion of revelation it's not a natural religion. And what's the yes, first it's... point that is not part of fantasy as indicated in stanza one? That's, that the Son of God should take our mortal form for the sake of us mortals. You know, who, would have, who could have dreamed that up? Uh, it's like you say, this, it's obvious the, the truth, God's incarnation in human flesh for the sake of, for, for the sake of all mankind, uh, its origin, of course, is none other than God himself. Nobody could have dreamed this up on their own. Exactly. And it, it begins by saying that God, so it's just not referred to as the Son of God, but God himself should take our mortal form for mortal's sake. What do we call that in theology? It's his what? Incarnation. Excellent. And incarnation be means becoming involved with human form. Right. Now, he does not lose his divine qualities, but he sets them aside, right? No, actually, he doesn't set them aside. He simply does not use them, at least, uh, at least not continually. Uh, there are occasions when he does use his divine, almighty power, and we call those miracles. But and uh, but uh, his like his uh, his omniscience, his all knowingness, he didn't set this aside uh, when he left his heavenly Father's throne. He he never ceased to be God in every sense of the word. He simply did not use uh, these uh, these attributes, all mightiness, all knowingness, things like that. He did not use them uh, continually during what we call his state of humiliation. 
Well, if I have the ability to run a race and I'm really fast, but then I run against my children, I would set aside my speed. I wouldn't use it. Right. Let them right. Right. And but, so that's but, what I mean by setting aside. For example, there are miracles that Jesus does not do from his divine power, such right. as the feeding of the 5,000. He thanks right. the Father for that. Right, I think I think the raising of Lazarus was, an, was another one, but uh, pr the problem, Tom, what I'm trying to avoid is the is the misconception that he 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 left behind all those divine attributes uh, well, I'm when not he saying came to he Earth. Left behind, I'm saying that he did not make use of them. It, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, in other words. He did not know when the last day was going to be. So he right. was not was, making use of his omniscience. That was during his uh, his uh, state of humiliation. Now, of course, he knows now. He certainly knows now in his state of exaltation. He knows when he's going to come again. Right. But during his state of humiliation, I think it is appropriate to say he did not make use of these divine attributes and therefore did set them aside. Okay. <laughs> you say yeah. it the way you want. <laughs> okay. And you say it the way you want. I think we both mean the same thing. I think so. Stanza two, he sent an angel to our race of higher or lower place. He sent no well, angel. That's right. He sent, what did I say? An angel. I'm sorry. But wore the robe of human frame, and to this world himself he came. Now, what heresy is being spoken out against in this second verse? Let's see. He sent no angel to our race of higher or of lower place, but wore the robe of human frame. What heresy is that? The guy's name world? begins with an A and then Agnost an R. Then an I. Arianism. Then a yes. Arianism. There you go. Yeah, Arius, he believed that there was a God, the Father, but then his son was an angel, not God himself. Mm -hmm. Right. What religion today kind of teaches that? Uh, you know what? I think it's... Uh... I think it's... Is it the Mormonism that teaches... It's either it's either Mormonism or one of the other uh, sects that teaches J.W. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses. They they believe right. they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but not God Himself. Excellent, excellent. So this heresy is still going on today. In right. fact, in our trips around. Uh, Illinois, we go by a whole bunch of 
worship centers, and one of them is a brand new Jehovah Witness church. Uh, they're only there for some reason on Thursdays, but be that as it may, uh, that would be a religion that does not believe that Jesus is God. No, no. Therefore, it's not it's not Christian. No, exactly. It's uh, what we call Arius, and that's one of the early, early church fathers that many of the creeds really deal against that, particularly the Athanasian Creed. All right. That's right. Stanza three, please. Okay. For us baptized, for us he bore his holy fast and hungered sore. For us temptation sharp he knew, for us the tempter overthrew. And what is your point on the for us? He says, it said 13, 13 times is yes. for us uh, spoken in this hymn. In other words, all these different things Christ always did for us. In fact, there's a 14th time where he says, uh, still seeking not himself but us. Uh, so 13 or 14 times, it, it reminds us that everything Christ did was for us, with us in mind. Yeah, I came up with 15 times. 15 times, really? I was counting them just uh, last night, so I could be wrong. Yeah, because uh, some of them have more than for us once in it. Uh-huh. In fact, the first line has two of them. Yeah, that's right. For us, and then the sixth, and the sixth, the sixth stanza has has three. Yeah, exactly. Now that is really important because this is really a great law and gospel teaching. How so? You tell me, Tom. I'm sure it is. No doubt about well, that. Well, the law would say we did these things for us. The gospel says God did these things for us. Right. That's right. It's a I huge would agree. difference between law and gospel. Yeah. And so many preachers today give the impression to their congregation that the way you're going to be acting in your life is going to decide by God whether you are pleasing to him. In fact, the epistle for this Sunday is from Philippians 3, where Paul says, if there's anybody out there who thinks he has reason for being confident in the flesh, that means confident in my old Adam saving myself, I have more than anybody. And then he goes through, he's of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, to the law of Pharisee, to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But what does he do with all of that? Whatever gain I had, I counted as... As loss. Very good. None of it compares to what Jesus Christ has done for me. 
Yeah, Tom, uh, I've, oft, I've heard it said that uh, the difference between just another praise song and a, a, a true hymn is you look at that hymn and, and you say, who is driving the verbs? Is it, is it talking about what I'm doing? You know, some of these songs that talk about everything that I do. But a real, a, a true, a truly good hymn and an appropriate hymn talks about what Christ has done for us, or or, or God Himself. That's an Triune excellent God. point to make. Another law and gospel point: Who is the subject of each verse? Right. All right. Stanza four, please. For us, He prayed. For us, He taught. For us, His daily works He wrought. By words and signs and actions thus, still seeking not himself, but us. What does that mean, that he was not seeking himself? Oh, you know, everything he did was for us. Uh, He did not always, you know, think about himself first. But everything, everything he did... It, that it, that was part of God's divine ordained plan was for our salvation, for our atonement. Uh, he always, he always, how would you say, put himself last for us. I mean, look at what he did on the cross. Look at everything leading up to the cross. His exactly. suffering under Pontius Pilate and uh, his 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 crucifixion, and uh, it, it was all done for us and putting himself last. In fact, last week's lesson on Philippians talks about that, that we are not to look out only for our own interests, but the interest of our our neighbor. Yes. Well said. And, And so that's what Jesus does. He isn't doing these things so he can be saved because he's God. Verse 5. For us by wickedness betrayed, for us in crown of thorns arrayed, he bore the shameful cross and death. For us he gave his dying breath. Wow. Why is that important that he gave his dying breath for us? He breathed his last, and uh, and that was after all the uh, all the prophecies that were prof- prophesying his his atoning death. After they were, you know, remember, uh, I thirst. Uh, he that was a prophecy that was fulfilling a prophecy, and uh, once it had all been fulfilled, his his uh, his dying on the cross, he he actually gave up. His his spirit, uh, he actually willed himself to die. You know, he he's God. You, you know, you nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to take it, to lay it down, and to take it up again. He actually had to will himself to die uh, at 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 the time of his choo- choosing. What word from the cross reminds us that he knew he had accomplished what was necessary? It is finished. Excellent. What was finished? Every well, I'll tell you what. Everything 
that had to be fulfilled in yes. in that atoning death was done. Not only that, but every single sin that had ever been committed or ever would be committed had been atoned by him. The other item that was finished was every prophecy from the Old Testament. That's right. That's right. That dealt with him. In, in fact, that's really about God on the road to Emmaus when he was explaining to the disciples the necessity of his death and resurrection. He simply quoted Old Testament passages. There's no evidence that Jesus Christ died for our sins at all. There's only truth from the Bible. And so therefore, we shouldn't use reason or man's thinking to try and get someone to believe the message of Christianity. Simply quote the Bible. Is that what you do in sermons? Yes, yes. I, well, of course, and I, I explain it uh, yes. in, in light of Holy Scripture. Uh, All right, I'll yeah, read you six. You can't, you can't prove faith, in other words, Tom. You can't prove faith. It, uh, exactly. It's, it's God's own word that uh, breathes the Holy Spirit into us. Yeah, and there's just, I don't know what's wrong with some pastors who think that there's some kind of evidence out there for what we believe. No, until the Holy Spirit gives you that faith, there's no way that you know because he did this for us and anything else is fantasy. Verse six, for us, he rose from death again. For us, he went on high to reign. For us, he sent his spirit here to guide, to strengthen, and to cheer. So in this verse, you have the resurrection, you have the coming of the, the Holy Spirit. And the ascension. And the ascension. Well said. Yeah, this Thomas Akempis, of course, he died during the time of Luther. So you can understand how he got this all right. How does the last verse go? It's a it's a doxological verse. It it mentions all three persons of the Trinity. All glory to our Lord and God for love so deep, so high, so broad. The Trinity whom we adore forever and forevermore. So when you say it mentions Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's right. really found in the word Trinity. Right. And once more, it's because of his love for us, which is deep, it's high, it's broad. In other words, it cannot be explained. It cannot be proven. The only way a person comes to faith is what we call the means of grace not the means of man's wisdom or man's reason. So this is a false journey to try and show people that we can prove the Bible is true. No, we cannot. Only the Holy Spirit can.
So, a hymn you use often? Oh, I, yeah, I, I love this hymn. I love the melody. Um, let's see, there's another hymn that, has, that uses the same tune. I can't think of it right now, but, uh, but yeah, I do love this hymn. Yes. Yeah, it's called Deo Gra- Gracias. That's the name of this hymn, right. which is the grace of God. And um, I can't think of the hymn you're speaking of either. But uh, be good to kind of look that up. And this is also a, a great communion hymn. Because what is happening at communion? Well, there's, there's another. It's, 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 it's another great mystery uh, that we can, we, we never dream it up ourselves. It's, it's a gift of God. And it is for us. For us, absolutely. Thank you very much, Mark Smith, in helping us with this hymn. And we'll be using it on Sunday for sure. And I pray your other church will will be used also. I'm Tom Baker, Pastor Mark Smith. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.